Welcome to Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick, brought to you by Empire Sports Media. We are your hosts, Spen and Nick. This is episode number 71 of our Fine Nets podcast. It's the last week of July. Nick, what is happening with you, brother? Is that a Jewish joke? July? Honestly, I didn't mean to emphasize the, the Jew part of July. Um, Speaking of dirty, manscaped.com. No, 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 no. We're not doing them anymore. I should have told you that before the show. They are not a sponsor of the pod anymore. So if you want to buy Manscaped, go ahead. But we don't have a promo code for it. They took down our promo code? Yeah. By the way, I also just want to point out that me and Nick are Jewish before we move on with the podcast. Totally unrelated to me mispronouncing July, but we're Jewish. We grew up. We're bar mitzvahed. Our parents raised us Jewish. Uh, Does that mean 10 people use the code? I don't know. I'm not sure, but I was told by the higher ups at Empire Sports Media to stop advertising Manscaped. Well, I got so used to it. I now just enjoy talking about Manscaped. I'm just yeah, like an advocate. I get it. For, Fine. Uh, Who's their biggest competitor? I have no idea. I don't really buy any other ball trimmers, so I'm not sure. Dadscaped. Are you trying to escape your dad? All right. We have a few little nuggets of news this week for your Brooklyn Nets. Number one, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. Brooklyn will most likely focus on bringing Blake Griffin back, which means they will most likely let Jeff Green walk and look for employment elsewhere. Are you in favor of this move, Nick? Do you prefer Blake over Jeff Green? Yeah, I think Blake fills a need more so than Jeff Green does. As much as I love Jeff Green and as much as he crushed it this season, uh, super efficient, shot over 50%, averaged over 11 points a game, but you saw come playoff time who they leaned on more, right? Griffin was taking the charge. Griffin was the hustle man. Griffin stepped up his game in the playoffs, whereas Jeff Green kind of had that one breakout game after injury and then kind of died after that. Playing time went down and just really wasn't a threat on offense. Uh, He is a couple years older than Griffin. Uh, He's smaller than Griffin. Griffin's a bigger presence down low, which is the one thing we're lacking. Uh, So I understand it. It's tough to see Green go, but I do think it's the best business decision for the team. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you. Um, When we acquired Blake Griffin a few months ago, maybe like two months before the playoffs, if that my big thing with him was he, you know, could provide another scoring option. As long as he hits his three, he, he's, a, he's an offensive weapon. I did not see his defensive prowess coming. The fact that he draws more charges than almost anybody in the league. Um, I thought that while he didn't do a great job on Giannis, I thought he did as well of a job on Giannis as anyone throughout the playoffs. I mean, he played him hard. For seven games, he took bumps. He he was he was the only guy it seemed like who was willing to kind of take that contact from Antetokounmpo. So and I hate to I hate to throw shade to the Phoenix Suns because they played a hell of the finals, but he did what DeAndre Ayton couldn't do. Right, there were multiple times where DeAndre Ayton should have taken the charge, should have put his body out, and got you know a, a sidestep from Giannis and swiped out of him a foul almost every time. So Blake Griffin kind of was in a sense um, the ultimate big man defender on someone like Giannis because he is more mobile has a better sense uh, center of gravity, lower center of gravity. In a weird way, Blake was kind of our Swiss army knife. He could guard the center. He can hit the three. If we needed him to play down low, he could. Um, in the playoffs, he had some huge dunks. 
And actually, I think in his first game as a net, he dunked. So he broke that scoreless uh, or that dunking streak that he had when he was on the Pistons. But he was phenomenal for us. And 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 when push came to shove and we needed someone to step up and, and play the big men in the playoffs, it was Blake stepping up. So I don't want to discredit what Jeff Green did this year. I mean, Uncle Jeff was awesome on offense. He, he was such a good scoring threat. He would hit the three. He was at one point he was dunking on at least one opponent every single game. He was posterizing someone. Uh, Why don't we have Jeff and Blake fight to the death for the last roster spot? That would be great. That's a good idea. And Bruce Brown could join in. Who do you think wins? You know, I I don't. Blake's not really a fighter, and I I don't think Jeff is either. But Blake's one of those guys like he'll get in your grill, but he's never going to throw a punch. Um, It's a good question. Be a pretty fair fight. But going back to Jeff Green, uh, love what he gave for the Nets. Blake's just a little bit more important and we got to bolster. We, we have enough shooters on this team, right? Shamit, Joe Harris, the big three. Yeah. If um, they've actually started making shots, we have enough shooters on the team. Right. Right. I mean, if you bring Bruce Brown back, he was starting to kind of figure out that baseline three. So as much as I, I like Jeff Green last year, he's expendable. That's what it comes down to. And he'll find a good, he'll, you know what? He can go to a team that needs uh, that veteran leadership and a good guy off the bench, a good hype man. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up on a, on a playoff contending team that just kind of wanted that uh, just knowledge and presence of the game that he brings. So I'm not, I'm not worried that he'll have any trouble finding a, a good team to play on. I also want to say that this is all preliminary and there is a chance that Jeff Green could return to Brooklyn. So we could be nope, eating our words. We'll see you later, Jeff. I'm going. There you go. Um, so this leaves Spencer Dinwiddie, who many people will think will walk, and Bruce Brown, who has sort of a 50-50 shot of coming back. So, Nick, what are your predictions for what happens here? I think I think what most people think. How many times that's, did that's I say a lot of, That's a lot of thinking. That's a lot of thinking. Uh, I think Bruce Brown stays and Dinwiddie goes. Uh, it just makes the most sense for both of them. Uh, Bruce Brown will get a bigger role if Jeff Green and Spencer Dimity are both gone. He'll kind of come into his own. Uh, you know, we've seen him improve year over year. He was a solid threat of the Pistons on a shitty team, but then came to a much better team in the Nets. Wasn't getting minutes in the beginning and then really proved himself. He's a hustler. He has that nice little stroke from inside the paint, a little floater that he does, even though it kind of failed him come playoff time when he tried to drive on Brooke Lopez at the end there. Uh, and like you said, he's developing somewhat of a decent three-point shot. So Bruce Brown uh, is a role player that fills a nice roster spot on the Nets, whereas just polar opposite of Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie wants a big contract, Dinwiddie wants playing time. He wants to be, if not the guy, one of the guys on a team, probably top three scoring threats, which he is not on this Nets team. So for, for all that makes sense logically, it's Bruce Brown, which again, uh, I do think is the better business decision for, for both players and for the Nets. For, from everything I've seen, Dinwiddie's pretty much out the door. I mean, you had that one thing a week or two ago where, where he made the comments that, you know, it's in the Nets court. If they want to pay me what, what I think I'm worth, I don't think he comes back to Brooklyn. I would. Oh, I, th- I think he might go start like a crypto agency too. I heard he's really into crypto. Yeah. Oh, he loves crypto. Um, I would like to bring Bruce Brown back, but for the right amount of money. I, I know he had the best season of his career with the Nets and he's going to be asking for a lot of money. So if the Nets want to, you know, they got to figure out what that number is. Is it a little bit more than 10 million? Is it a little bit less? So it's going to be around that eight to 10 million mark. And, and do the Nets want to pay him that? Um, That's a good tongue twister. Bring baller Bruce Brown back. Can you say that five times fast? Bring baller Bruce Brown back. I'm not going to say it four more times, but we'll see. I, 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 agree with you. I, I would like him to bring Bruce Brown back. I think like Blake Griffin, 
He's another guy. He's your Swiss Army knife at the guard. He can cover Not the Not everyone. Guard. You can't have like five Swiss Army knives. There needs to be different. Like they come have up with a different analogy. No, it's the same. They're the same. They, wow, this team has so many Swiss Army knives. They're like well, a they're like a bucket of Swiss Army knives. Well, one Swiss Army knife has like a knife, a scissor. And, you know, something that you buff your nails with and the other Swiss Army knife. I've never seen you buff your nails one. So are you saying the Nets as a team are a Swiss Army knife and they have a bunch of different tools? No, I'm saying the tools that Blake and Bruce Brown have in their individual Swiss Army knives (laughs) are different. By the way, speaking of knives, shout out to the Friedland Proper family. They sent me and my girlfriend, Victoria, a lovely housewarming gift, a Cutco knife. And you, you got the Cutco knife? Yeah, I got the same thing. I told you that in the group chat. Right. I, I just, you know. It's always me and Victoria this. Me and Victoria. I'm taking Victoria to the Nets game. We got some knives. We're going to go see Knives Out together. Great movie, by the way. You know, the remember my idea? You go see Knives Out. Then right before it starts, you stand up. And you go, Knives Out! And you just whip out, like, two huge butcher knives. I was Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. I would definitely try it the next time you go to the movies. Yep, so I will. I just will. And you don't even have to be seeing Knives Out. You could be seeing anything. Watch the Jungle Cruise. <laughs> knives Out. This is Black Widow. Yeah, I couldn't, do, I couldn't do that. All right. You want to get into Team USA a little bit? Not particularly, but I guess it's on the docket, so we should. They lost to France in their opener. Um, they lost two out of the three ex- exhibition games. They let Evan Fournier go for 28 points. Like the fourth or fifth best player on the Celtics cooked the country of America, which is insane. Uh, shout out to Timothy Luau Cabarro. He is on the French team. I saw that he scored one layup. He might've had more than that, but nice to see him get a win over his fellow teammate, Kevin Durant. You know, yeah. Shout out to TLC. Uh, he didn't do much, but good for him to be on the team. Um, I'm trying to find, I read this article. Time to, here it is. USA Today. Time to face facts. NBA coaching legend, Greg Popovich stinks at Olympic basketball. And it just goes to talk about how successful he is as a as an NBA coach, which I don't think anybody who's ever watched basketball can argue that Greg Popovich is one of the greatest NBA coaches of all time. And I have nothing but respect for him. But this article goes on to tell uh, uh, its readers, USA Today again, he has no idea what he's doing. Look no further than the guy with five NBA titles who has been clueless from the very moment he was given the reins to USA basketball, clueless in what he values with this roster. Clueless with an offense that unlocks very little of what his players do well. Clueless with the expectations he took on by following Mike Krzyzewski in in this admittedly thankless job. So, (laughs) poor Pop, rough start to the USA Olympics. You know, he made a point to say, you know, why are people so surprised that, you know, don't don't hate on these other teams, they're fantastic teams. But then you have guys like Damian Lillard who's like, yeah, I get it, we should have won. So, I think it's a little bit of a cop-out for Pop to almost act like all these teams are good enough to beat them when in hindsight, they shouldn't be given the NBA is the most prominent basketball league in the world. And these players in every other country want to play in the NBA. Um, and I'm sorry, I know Fournier, Gobert, TLC, and Nidikina are, aren't bad players. I mean, especially Fournier and, and Gobert, but come on, come on, pop. Greg Popovich is someone who looks angry all the time. So when he's happy, when his team's playing great, he looks angry. When they're not playing great, he looks angry. So he, he just... Oh, I didn't mention Nick Batum. I like Nick Batum. Nick Batum's a good player. It's a tough look for USA. I mean, you don't necessarily have scrubs on this team. You have a few guys who are outside the top 25, top 30. You know, in a Keldon Johnson, um, JaVal McGee's on the roster. 
By the way, shout out to that reporter asked the weirdest question in the world to Javal McGee. Did you hear that? No, was it? So he goes to Javal. He goes, uh, Javal, is your mother still with us? And Javal McGee's just like, are you asking if my mother's alive? Like, yeah, yeah, she's alive. That's a really weird question, bro. Like he was so taken aback by the question. Uh, just a bizarre way to start a dialogue with someone at a press conference. But like I said, they have a few players outside the top 30. You still have Kevin Durant. You still have Damian Lillard. Okay, you still listen, have Bradley you, like Hill. you said, you have Keldon yeah. Johnson. You have JaVale McGee. You have Jeremy Grant, who had an unbelievable season. Well, those yeah, I, wouldn't, low- I wouldn't put Jeremy Grant in those But those two are guys. kind of the lower tier players, dude. But right. you can't really use that excuse. You have Bam Adebayo, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Drew Holiday, Zach Levine, Damian Lillard, Chris Middleton, and Jason Tatum. The yep. only thing you're really missing on this entire lineup is a big man kind of, you know, Bam Adebayo plays more of a stretch four than a true five. You probably are putting Durant and Draymond Green at, at bigger roles than they should be playing. And you probably don't want to play JaVale McGee that much. So if there's anything wrong with this lineup, it's they're lacking a little bit of size down low. Mm-hmm. But you can't tell me that the skill of Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Damian Lillard should make up for most mismatches down low if there is one. If Gobert is obviously going to dominate down low on Adebayo, who's still a top-notch defender, uh, I still don't think that's enough of an alibi to get them out of uh, uh, winning all these games are expected to be winning. I completely agree with you. Now, a, a team and a player that look a little bit better than USA, did you see what Luka Doncic did for Slovenia against Argentina the other night? No, I heard about it. I didn't see it. 48 points. This was the second most points in, in Olympic history in his first game ever and there are like zero highlights because the Olympics are very strict with copyright laws. So they take, so you can't go on YouTube. You can't find this shit anywhere. Um, it was on before I was watching him and he has a chance to be the best player in the NBA. Like he really does. Like, like he has so much in his bag, Nick, and he's only 20, what, 23, 24 years old. He's, he's, he's very young. Yeah, dude. I, I wanted to take a futures bet. I probably still could on Slovenia winning it all. Because they're going to be so slow odds, but like Doncic would be the guy that brings Slovenia to the championship. Like he would be the guy that somehow scrapes his out, especially given the vulnerability vulnerability of the USA team right now. He is 22 years old, Nick, and he you know is yeah. an MVP candidate every single year. Can I tell you a funny joke I saw? Speaking of just good shooters, so hit me with it. I, I was watching this guy do some stand up, and he said, uh, he goes. So um, I have some weird people from my town. Uh, I'm from the same middle school as Lee Harvey Oswald. Okay. And went to the same high school as Pistol Pete Maravich. Okay. So needless to say, my town breeds good shooters. Ha ha ha. I mean, yeah. One was good at basketball. One assassinated our president. So that's, that's a pretty good joke. Good times. All right, Nick. Uh, before we get to some other segments, we have our first Move in the NBA offseason. Breaking from Adrian Wojnarowski himself. The Memphis Grizzlies are finalizing a trade to send Jonas Valanciunas, who had a really good year, by the way. He's a good fucking center. And uh, 2021 picks 17 and 51 to New Orleans for Steven Adams Eric Bledsoe, 2021 picks 10 and 40 and a protected 2022 first round pick via the Lakers. I hate that for the Grizzlies. So the, yeah, the Grizzlies pick up Steven Adams and, and Bledsoe and picks 
And then the sorry, the Pelicans will take on Jonas Valanciunas's contract as well as 17 and 51. And then I, I like that for the Pelicans. Eric Bledsoe is a cancer wherever he goes. One, you already have John Morant and a decent set of guards around him. Like Dylan Brooks, even Grayson Allen played well. Valanciunas had a fantastic season. He's, he's a solid five. He is like the definition of a solid five. You downgrade to Steven Adams, who you could say might be better defensively, but is really not a threat on offense whatsoever. And Eric Bledsoe gets tossed into another trade and goes to another team to destroy. I mean, why would the Grizzlies do that given their kind of bubble playoff contention? when they really could have found anyone else to fill some of the pieces they were missing. I, that boggles my mind. Good for the Pelicans. I like the one-two punch now of Zion and Jonas Valanciunas. I think that is a nice combo. I'm sorry, on Memphis's part, I really, I really don't, don't see the appeal of that trade. I, I, maybe, they, maybe they have a plan for who they're picking in the draft that this more, more focuses on, but in terms of just the players involved, uh, that, that to me is just poop. I will tell you this, Nick. If I'm humping it or dumping it, I'm dumping it. The Milwaukee Bucks had Eric Bledsoe. They didn't win anything. All of a sudden, he leaves, and they win a championship. Maybe this is really good for the Pelicans. Maybe losing Eric Bledsoe and possibly acquiring Kyle Lowry. They said that the Pelicans may make a run at, at old fat-ass Kyle Lowry. I like um, that. That's a good move. That wouldn't be bad. I mean, look what the Suns did, and look what the um... – like you just said, the Suns, the Jazz, uh, and the, the Bucks, Bucks all yeah. acquired a veteran guard and had a great and had great playoff runs. I'm speaking of Mike Conley, uh, Chris Paul, of course, and Drew Holiday. What did I say to you before the Bucks won the championship? That if the Bucks win this championship, the Milwaukee management is going to go down in history as making one of the greatest moves of all time for Drew Holiday because that was the one spot in their starting five that was lacking. Bledsoe is not a championship point guard, and that was the best move they made, and it got them their first championship in 50 years. So I like, I support the Pelicans' decision to go for a veteran guard that's actually solid, as opposed to Eric Bledsoe, and I do not understand where the Grizzlies are coming from, but interesting decision. All right, there you have it. Uh, We move on. Don't. A segment I like to call, the owner of the Nets is a baller. Joe Sy is revealed as the mystery buyer of a $157 million New York City condo, Nick. Brooklyn Nets owner, who is 57 years old, purchased two full-floor condo apartments at pegged, pegged as the most expensive building in New York City in two separate transactions, the Wall Street Journal first reported. One floor, the 60th, was purchased for $82.5 million, and the floor above it was bought for $75 million. So, and, oh, and then they threw in a studio apartment on the 18th floor as well. Um, this is pretty cool, right? Yeah, I had rice and beans for lunch. That's pretty fucking cool for Joe Sai, yeah. All right. Uh, each floor is made up of four bedrooms, five full baths, and two half baths, and spans almost 6,000 square Feet maintenance fees monthly cost twelve thousand four hundred thirty-four dollars. In an in addition to monthly taxes of ten thousand six hundred sixty dollars, I actually saw he has like an amazing view of the sky. I'm looking at pictures of it right now. Holy fucking shit, Nick! This apartment is beautiful. Or, or these condos, I guess they're called. That's incredible. Good for him. I mean, if, if you got it, flaunt it. And if you don't, you can't flaunt it because you don't have it. So, if you're sorry. gonna buy. The, the most expensive condo in New York City, 
then you can't be known as a cheap owner in the NBA. You have to go out and spend every single cent on making your team a championship contender. It was either that, it was that apartment or re-signing Dinwiddie. So it looks like he made his decision. All right. So that's good. And we're, we're jumping all around today, Nick, but uh, new narrative is forming about this 2021 Nets team. So I've spoken with some Knicks fans and you can call them Nets haters, but there is this narrative that, you know, the Nets are the favorite to win the championship in 2021. And that's wrong because Kevin Durant and Harden are all a year older and they're well into their thirties. Kyrie is, and I'm quoting someone here because I don't agree with this, but they called him in air quotes, a wacko. And (laughs) they just don't have enough to compete with the team that just won the championship in Milwaukee and the 76ers who are probably going to improve if they're able to move Ben Simmons. Well, that's not true at all. That's a, that's a ridiculous presumption because we, we barely lost to the Bucks in game seven by a couple points because we had our two best players hurt. One was barely on the court and one was off the court. So how could you say full throttle, the Bucks are still a better team? That's a ridiculous statement. And the Sixers lost to the lowly Hawks. Because no matter what they try to do to fill the gap, Embiid can't play alongside another superstar. You saw Jimmy Butler come. Uh, Tobias Harris is a is a good player. He's a solid player. He's not the guy that's going to take them there. Who are they going to get for Ben Simmons? Are they going to? Well, maybe they should trade for Eric Bledsoe. That's a cool idea. We'll see what happens with the Sixers. So to say that the Sixers and Bucks are are, are already favorites over the Nets in 2022 is a ridiculous statement to make. With that said. The West scares me a lot more than the East. You have the Jazz, who were the one seed, who literally uh, everyone thought was was a favorite to win the championship this year. You have the Suns, who are capable of anything at this point, as long as they kind of keep their young unit together, which may not happen. And you just you have the Clippers with Kawhi and Paul George, who are always they say they're always going to be there. So, and then the Lakers, if LeBron's healthy, obviously you can't rule them out. So that's four teams that I'm more scared of in the West than anybody in the East, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think this is a load of horseshit. Uh, Kevin Durant, James Harden, yes, they're going to be a year older. Do we all think that they're just going to forget how to play basketball? Are, are we kidding ourselves if we're not going to say Kevin Durant was the best player in the NBA down the stretch until the Nets were out? James Harden was playing some of the best basketball of his career, of his career before he hurt his hamstring. And if Kyrie's healthy, you know he's going to give you buckets. These guys aren't 40 years old. Let's not call them old. Let's not write them off because I think KD is going to be like 34, 35 or something. No, we're getting rid of our old guy. That's Jeff Green. There you go. Exactly. We're getting rid of Uncle Jeff. Um, But, yeah, this is a load of horse shit. This is the haters trying to to prove a point and say something that just is is flat out inaccurate. I agree. Uh, I think there's no reason we should not be just as good, if not better, than we were this year, given all the injuries, given all the G League acquisitions. It would only, in hindsight, make sense for us to be better in 22 pending any major health concerns. I, I would just like to bring up a Skip Bayless tweet from uh, Sunday, July 25th. So did you see the video of the USA team singing happy birthday to Kevin Durant, even though it wasn't his birthday? No. Skip Bayless tweeted, Kevin Durant did not look like Kevin Durant versus France. I did not love it when our entire Olympic team derisively sang happy birthday to him even though it wasn't his birthday. He obviously didn't love it either. Maybe today was his way of singing happy birthday back. It's a weird, Skip is an idiot. Uh, Yeah, he had a bad game against France. Went four for 12 shooting. He missed a pretty wide open three with 30 seconds left to take the lead by one. It it was a 
just a bad game. What are you going to shave Durant for a bad game after he carried a, a broken Nets team nearly past the championship-winning buck? So fuck you, Skip Bayless. Skip, Skip gets paid All millions. Sack of shit. He gets paid millions of dollars for a reason. And who knows? Maybe if if Team USA doesn't troll Kevin Durant in that instance, maybe they beat France. Maybe he's got a point. Maybe this was KD's revenge. Yeah, for sure. I think KD just really loves TLC. He wants him to shine. All right, Nick. We're going to end the podcast. But before we do, we're going to do a top five of our favorite Olympic sports to watch. In this current 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games. Correct. So I'll go first. Summer Olympics. And do you know where Tokyo is? Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm familiar with Japan. Okay. I just want to make sure you know that the Olympics are going on right now. And we are down one gold medal to Japan. My number five favorite sport to watch in the Olympics is basketball. I watch basketball year round, uh, you know, especially when the NBA season is going. I'll watch Summer League. I'll watch the TBT tournament. I'll watch every kind of – I'll watch the big three. Um, Blame. But, but, you know, the Olympics is good. I just have four sports that I enjoy watching more than basketball in the Olympics. That's lame, dude. The Olympics come every every two years, every four years for this specific uh, Olympics, and you're going to literally pick basketball – Yes. All right. My, my number five is high bar. Okay. It's the gymnastics sport where the bar is really high. And then there's another bar. I don't know if that's actually the official name for it. There might be called like two, two metal bars, one cup or something, but it's basically you swan your arms, swinging around it. Like it's a monkey bar, jumping up, doing some misty flips, landing back on the bar, doing a bunch of really cool moves. And then eventually jumping, launching off and having to, to uh, ace the landing off of this high bar. The Japanese man was actually really sad uh, for qualifying. He was a heavy favorite, fell on his landing and didn't qualify. But uh, it's just really fun to watch. The athleticism of gymnastics is absolutely incredible. And so that to me, and I have another gymnastics one I'll get in my, in my, over my next few, but high bar is my number five. It's really cool to watch and see people twist and turn and catch themselves in the air. Yeah, great pick, high bar. Uh, my number four is two-person men's volleyball. Well, that's my number four, too. Mine's hey! beach volleyball. Yeah. yeah, not much to say. Great sport. I prefer um, the women, though, personally. But that's fine. Know. Yeah, yeah, I like the dudes. Um, I just – I like the two-person more than the normal number because I feel like it's a lot harder to score with the two-person. No, it's a lot easier to score. You get a lot more spikes. The, the, the rallies aren't as long because it's just two guys. And there's a lot of diving and there's like – Oh, yeah. yeah. And cool. I think of like the Top Gun scene with like Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise and they're playing and stuff. Speaking of which, have you seen the trailer for the new Val Kilmer documentary? No. About his life? I'll send that to you. It's, it's, it looks really sad. Is he, really is he fucked up? Yeah, he, uh, he got throat cancer. He now talks with one of those things now. Oh, seriously? That's sad. Yeah, I'll send you the video. I'll just show it to death. Dude, I'm a, yeah. I'm a huge Val Kilmer fan, by the way. I like a lot of the. Oh, movies. he's great. He's yeah. great. All right, I agree with you, number four, beach volleyball. My number three uh, is diving. Um, okay. Synchro- synchronized diving. When you okay. have the two people going yep. at the same time, doing the exact same thing. I like that. Uh, from, from super high in the air. And their goal is to really get the most minimized splash possible. And so they're really trying to just sink into that water like butter. Um you know when they tell you to do a pencil when you jump in? That's kind of what they're doing, but upside down more so as a dive. It's really not a pencil whatsoever. Uh, but diving is really cool to me. It takes so much focus. It's just all strategy, uh, uh, determination, willpower. And the hardest thing is you have to be doing the exact same thing as the person next to you. So synchronized diving for me. My number three is ping pong. It's a sport that I grew up playing with Nick. We would have epic battles in the summer in our backyard. Uh, Me and the great Boz from Las Vegas, we had a series that went 150 games. 
And he loves to tell people he beat me. I think he beat me by like five or six games. It wasn't a, a huge margin of victory. Ping pong, the, the intensity, how they celebrate after a huge point. I just love the sport. That's my number three. That's a great, that's a really good one. I didn't think of that one, but I really enjoy that. Uh, number two for me, uh, it has to be the floor routine gymnastics. The floor okay. gymnastics. That's Simone they, Biles? That's Simone Biles. That's kind of, you know, Allie Raisman. You're seeing all the famous women do it right now who are crushing it. Um, and that's just when they're literally full flat f- floor, running from corner to corner, doing an insane amount of, of flips and, and jumps in, in the air. They kind of do it to a cool song, make it a little dance, very choreographed. But again, just the athleticism, athleticism of some of these people, especially like people like Simone Biles are like five feet tall or like five, two, and they jump so high and get so much airtime and they perfectly land. It's like, it blows my mind. Sean Johnson was, was my favorite. Remember her back in the day? Yeah, I do. She was great. She was, she was a legend. Um, so my number, my number two is the floor routine. My number two is badminton. Really? Yeah. What's your number one? Okay. Uh, my number one has to be, I mean, you've watched Michael Phelps sit with Mike Tirico and watch these Olympics. Uh, it has to be swimming. Swimming to me, it's just such immediate satisfaction. Like the hundred meters just there and back. Uh, these guys are insanely strong. The women too, both, both parties. And it's always so competitive. There's so much hype around it. Everyone loves these events. Um, I love the, the four by four relay with the four people on the same team. They have to perfectly jump as soon as the person touches uh, and it's just cool to watch the breaststroke, the behind the back, uh, what's that called? Backstroke, the um, butterfly, the butterfly. It's just, it's really cool. It's so unique to the Olympics to me. Cause where else do you see swimming on this high of a level? Um, and I don't know if you saw uh, Titmus, the Australian girl who beat Ledecky, the American girl, even though we were rooting for the American girl, it was her first Olympic gold and her coach, you got to watch this video, her coach in the stands like freaked out, had an insane freak out, was knocking stuff over. The, 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 the Japanese officials who are like the security guards were like kind of trying to stop him, but he's like this huge jacked Aussie dude flipping out. It was really cool to see. Just, you know, just melts your heart watching someone like get everything they ever wanted in, Olymp- in the Olympics. And so to me, swimming embodies that kind of once in a lifetime moment. My number one sport in the Olympics, it, it also takes place in the water, but it's not swimming. It's water polo. Water polo. I found myself so engaged the other day watching USA take on another country. I can't remember the country. I think we beat them, but you want to talk about, you know, a physical specimen, someone who needs to have every single part of their body working. You are treading water the entire game. You are swimming. Your upper body has to be the fucking stuff of Greek gods. You have to be able to, to have legs as strong as Saquon Barkley's. The fact that, you know, we're really good at water polo and, and, and watching what those guys are able to do. Holy shit. That sport is insane. And there's also like a coolness to it. Cause it's, it's the back and forth like soccer, but it's much easier to score because you have the advantage. Whereas the goalie's just standing there. If you can, you know, rise up and, and toss it in. It's just a really cool sport. I enjoyed it. And there are these different rules and stuff and um, players can get ejected on one possession. And it's like a five on four, or like a penalty play or something of that nature uh water polo is my number one i love it yeah water polo is a six sport man I, I got nothing against that so good choice all right nick that does it for this week's episode of fireside nets before we end the show i want to shout out a good friend of ours he's been on the show and and i was finally able to meet him in person mike Biseglia. he's the host of of an uber eats podcast called mike delivers you can also find him on bad weather fans with alex b 
uh, who's a diehard Knicks fan. Those two do a Knicks Nets uh, a Twitter account. But met up with Mike. We got dinner at a place called Brookdale. Had some delicious pepperoni bar pizza where like the pepperoni was cut in these small like three to four inch slabs it was what oh sorry i thought you were gonna say the pepperoni nipples never mind no they weren't even circular they were like a stick of pepperoni Mm. they were phenomenal um and the lesson here is you know sometimes people you meet on social media are are good-hearted people and they can be cool and they're not all creeps out there because Mike was saying, yeah, I'm glad Mike was saying didn't catfish you. That's a, <laughs> no, that's a huge that's not, relief. That's not what I meant. I, <laughs> I, I there is faith in mankind. I, I just honestly meant, I just honestly meant, like you know, you don't meet a ton of people on social media, but when you do, you realize that that if you know if they're good people on social media, chances are they're good people in real life. So shout out to Mike Pasegli. We had a fantastic dinner. Um, my goal this next season is to meet more people on Nets Twitter, uh, and I want to give Chris Mulholland a little bit of a shout out right now because you are on the clock, my friend, we are supposed to do a pizza review before the end of the summer. I don't know where we're going, but we'll do some type of food content because if you like the Brooklyn nets, you got to love some good pizza as well. Awesome. And I want to shout out my mom. Why? Came right out of her. All right, let's end it now. As always, Nick, catch you on the the fireside. fireside.